five, four, three, two, one. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast. I am, of course, your host, Sir Dr. J.M., a.k.a. Jordan. And I'm here a mere, uh, what is it, one, two, three, four months after my most recent episode. Yep, that's right, that's right. My last episode was recorded back in June. I believe June 12th was the published date. So here we are, literally one day off of four months later. Um, I guess I should apologize for being silent for so long. Um, I think I honestly just kind of burned out on things, life in general, obviously. There's a lot going on in the world right now, and uh, uh, I was also moving houses and got a new vehicle and all sorts of fun stuff. So I had a lot going on, so I took a bit of a break, and that bit of a break turned into an extended break. So apologies if you were listening, but uh, I'm back now, and hopefully I'm going to keep this train rolling. Um so without further ado, let's get into the show. Um, as I mentioned, this is One Man Watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast where we look at everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. Um, you can get this podcast on all podcast services, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, and we are on it. If you find something we're not on, uh, please do tweet at me at Sir SirDRJM or send me a message or something like that, and I'll uh, figure it out from there. Now, if you are new around here, which you might be, being that I've been gone for so long, and also being that, you know, Grand Finals just ended, and I know I myself am in Overwatch withdrawal, and that's why I decided to hop back on the podcast train. Um, So you might be new around here, so I'll give you the run of the show, and we'll dive right in there. So typically speaking, I'll intro the show as I have just now, and then I'll move on to a segment where we look at the news, so I'll pull reports and you know articles from around the web about uh, the latest and greatest happenings as they relate to the Overwatch League and Overwatch 1, and hopefully eventually we'll get some news about Overwatch 2. And then I'll move on to a section where I recap the past week's games in the Overwatch League. Of course, we all know what that segment will look like this week, and by all means, I'm not going to go super in-depth with every game, but there will be one that I'll talk about in particular. I'm sure you can guess which one. And then finally, I normally talk about uh, the upcoming week in the Overwatch League. So I'll pull up the schedule and I'll look at the upcoming games. Again, you can probably guess that that's not going to happen this week. Uh, That said, I do have something else planned, um, and so we'll get to that shortly here. Now then, let's dive right on into the news. Playtime's over. So, as you may have guessed, our biggest news story of the week is, of course, the San Francisco Shock are our 2020 Overwatch League champions. Um, If you watched the games, obviously you know how exciting it was to see the former champs from last year taking on the Seoul Dynasty, a team that uh, I don't think anyone going into this weekend would have predicted would be their competition, their, uh, you know, the second place finishers. That said, uh, it was a very good showing. It was a super exciting match. Honestly, the tournament overall, I think, turned out to be really, really exciting, um, really interesting. That said, we'll cover some of the details of the match itself down in our Overwatch League recap section of the show. But I wanted to take this opportunity 
to applaud the San Francisco shock, as well as obviously applaud the Seoul dynasty, who were a formidable foe in the final match. Um, I think anyone who watched, like I said, would was was pleased. Uh, Seoul put up a really good, really strong fight, um, and by all means, you know, I'll get spoilers, but down two nothing going into round three and brought it back um, and tied the game up at two two. Definitely, really exciting. Some some superb high level play from players all around. So, anyways, you know. Round of applause for the San Francisco Shock. Round of applause for the Seoul Dynasty. Congrats to all the players and everyone involved. And of course, actually, at this point, I should also applaud the production team. Um, you know, from the hosts, uh, Zoe and Custa, Ryan Force, as well as some of the guests they had, you know, with uh, Golden Boy in the spawn room and, uh, you know, Mitch casting, Mr. X casting, ZP, Jake, um, everyone who contributed. And then, of course, all the people behind the scenes. It was, in my opinion, a very well put together production. I was very pleased with how it all turned out. Um, I know in you know some of the other podcasts and things that I listened to, they had talked about the stage, um, the the unveiling of the the virtual stage that they showed off before the grand finals weekend, and I know some people weren't super impressed with it. I thought it worked really well. Um, I thought it went very smoothly. I was you know a little. Not, not annoyed, but I rolled my eyes a little bit when the occasional player cam was not turned on, just because I think that's kind of like, really guys, like, you know, it, it should almost be mandatory in at least, at the very least in this grand final setting. Um, but at the same time, for the most part, the players were pretty good about it, and most of them were available on there. So just very exciting stuff, and I was really impressed with that. I was really impressed with uh, the quality of the production um, and how things went. So anyways... San Francisco Shock are your 2020 Grand Finals champions. As a former uh, supporter of Mr. Twilight, who did not actually play in the final, but who is now on the San Francisco Shock, uh, they were my team of choice. Yes, I'm aware that Slime is on the Seoul Dynasty, but I just had to, you know, had to pull for Twilight after he made the move to San Francisco and going into the uh, the finals tournament. I had to, I had to cheer for the former enemy, you know. As a Vancouver Titans fan, I, I had to pull for them to come through. And boy, oh boy, did they show up to the tournament overall, you know. Um, so anyways, let's move on to the next story so I don't spoil too much of my owl recap right now. My next story that I want to talk about is um, actually the uh, Halloween Terror event was announced. Um, there's not too too much to talk about here other than the fact that you know it was announced that it'll be start kicking off October 13th so that is of course uh I mean as of recording it just passed midnight on mm, Sunday so it's now the 12th so that is of course tomorrow will be patch day however um it runs October 13th through November 3rd so it looks like we're getting a solid three weeks of the event of course, you can expect the old game modes to return, um, which is honestly, in my opinion, always always fun. But at the same time, you know, hopefully they do something new or change things up a little bit. I don't know that they will because I think much of the team has shifted focus to Overwatch 2. But at the same time, it's it's kind of easy for them to recycle these events and, and give you access to the former year's events as well. So not just last year's events, but the other modes from past years and stuff, as we've seen with most of the events they're doing now. Of course, we will also get the return of uh, old skins at a discounted rate, of course. 
for some of the uh, the previous Halloween events. So that's exciting. But probably the most exciting part was the uh, the unveiling of some of those new skins that we'll be getting as well. Um, there's a, a pretty exciting looking one for diva that i liked a lot and then i think uh one of the big ones uh that people will be really excited for was there's sort of a echo almost ragdoll i'm not sure sack doll kind of stitched together echo that looked really quite terrifying but very cool um and then on top of that actually there was also a sigma one that i saw was unveiled that i think is probably one of the better ones from this year so diva sigma um Echo definitely up there this year. I think there were also pictures of uh, Sombra one. There is a uh, Brigitte one. And if I'm not mistaken, there's also a Winston one that I don't think we've gotten a good look at. But I'm, you know me, I'm a sucker for a good Winston skin. So hopefully that one turns out. Um, I think actually it might have been last year they gave us the, the Gargoyle one for Winston. And that one is definitely one of, in my humble opinion, one of the best skins for Winston as well. So anyways, um, that's what the Halloween event looks like. So looking forward to that. Um, and you know, it's interesting because the thought just occurred to me that we should all be thinking that this could, could, you know, my fingers are crossed. This could very well be the, the final Halloween terror event um, that in essence comes to Overwatch because you know again fingers crossed but we could be looking at overwatch 2 next year um were i a betting man i honestly i would have thought that they were trying to hit around the time of release of the new uh new consoles with the xbox series x and s and the ps5 however obviously with no news of that i don't see that being real realistic anymore so it wouldn't surprise me too too much if they're aiming for a year after release um potentially unveiling things in the new year and then going maybe a six to eight month promotion cycle before the games launch in around the november season of next year kind of thing um i know the the first game launched in may which <clears throat> by all means is a good time period for games to launch but as is the november uh time frame because that you know tees things up nicely for thanksgiving um, in the States where you have Black Friday, Cyber Monday, that kind of stuff, as well as obviously um, the Christmas or the holiday season coming in December. So could be could be interesting to see what happens there. But anyways, you know, fingers crossed that that'll actually happen. The other question that remains is with Overwatch 2 coming out, will these seasonal events be coming to Overwatch 1? You know, it seems almost, seems a little strange that they wouldn't, given that they've talked yeah, not a lot, but a little bit about the sort of cross functionality of the two games where, you know, Overwatch 2 is almost more of an add-on to Overwatch 1, although they definitely don't want to say that. Um, but I do wonder if perhaps what they might do is they only do old events in Overwatch 1 and then they do, you know, new twists on the events or, or new events altogether in Overwatch 2 so that you know kind of incentivizes people to actually move on from Overwatch 1 to Overwatch 2. I'm sure there will be you know new skins might be exclusive to Overwatch 2 or something like that um, but I know they've talked about the maps and heroes will be available across the board so it does make me wonder well how else can they incentivize people to move to Overwatch 2? Well there you go I think that's that's actually a, a brilliant idea that I just came up with now. God I, I'm so smart let's let's applaud me. 
Anyways, uh, Halloween Terror 2020 coming at you October 13th through November 3rd. And of course, after that event, uh, I would imagine we'll probably go about a month, maybe a little bit longer. Um, you know, November 3rd through maybe December 8th, maybe the 15th. I would cross my fingers it'll be the 8th, but you know what? They might push it to the 15th and then go December 15th through January 5th would be the holiday event. Um, so anyways, we're in the most wonderful time of the year now because it's Halloween time. And then, you know, I mean, if you're Canadian, Canadian Thanksgiving. And then if you're American, American Thanksgiving. And then, of course, the uh, the holiday season in December and the new year. So exciting times to be alive. Moving on from there, the next story I've got here um, I'm actually going to pull this one from Esports Insider by way of Andrew Hayward. And the uh, this article reads, IBM enters esports with Overwatch League data and sponsorship deal. So now I'm not going to read you the whole article here, so definitely head over to Esports Insider. But I'm going to read you the very end of this article where they have a, you know, air quotes, Esports Insider says section. And it's just a little blurb about what was actually talked about in the article. So it says, Esports Insider says, this is a big get for the Overwatch League and for IBM. It's clearly more about the opportunity to use its powerful AI and cloud-based infrastructure to develop esports data tools than to be a presenting partner or sponsor. SAP was the first of the big data and analytics giants to make an esports play, and now IBM is following suit. So I chose to read that because a lot of the article before that is basically just like, you know, here you go, IBM's announced a sponsorship a partnership deal with the Overwatch League, and then it's got a quote from uh, Chief Revenue Officer of Activision Blizzard Esports, and then a quote from Vice President of Sports and Entertainment Partnerships at IBM. So that's just kind of, you know, in my opinion, business business mumbo jumbo. Basically, it's the the public announcement of this. The reason I wanted to read that Esports Insider section is because they're calling out the fact that this is actually more about the opportunity for IBM to sort of flex their you know ai and cloud-based infrastructure i'm not 100 percent certain about that i mean that's definitely going to be a a component of it an important component but i did notice that during the grand finals you did see that big old ibm sponsorship splash up on the screen um there was actually one one moment and i'm trying to remember where it was I can't remember if it was during gameplay. It might have been right at the beginning of a match, sort of in the in the prepare your defenses round, or uh, prepare your defenses section of a round, where it kind of almost zoomed out um, as a, a mini player um, with the game in the mini player section, and then IBM across the bottom and along the side. And I actually, I noticed that, and I thought, wow, that's, that's actually really interesting. I don't think IBM was a sponsor before this. So... Obviously, um, you know, Activision Blizzard out there on the grindstone getting these partnerships and these sponsorships because IBM is, you know, no schlup when it comes to the um, computer world, obviously. Um, but it's actually very interesting when they talk about the AI and cloud-based infrastructure section because what that says to me is hopefully we're going to be getting more integration in the web player, which obviously now is with YouTube, um, which I think is a something that was lacking. I would hope it means more interactivity. 
I do also, though, think it's going to be a lot more analytics and more data stuff that comes maybe after games. But I hope, like I say, that it means more interactivity with the actual video feed, with actual live games and things like that. Um, I really don't know what kind of tools YouTube gives uh, the, the league to play with during games and things like that. That said as well, I did notice during the Grand Finals again that um, and maybe this was before Grand Finals. I Honestly, it, it could be because I don't watch a lot of games from my computer. I often log in on my computer, leave it playing so that I get the uh, Overwatch League tokens. But I am more often watching over on, you know, on the TV, on the Roku, um, or from the app if I'm not home and things like that. But I did notice that on the web player, there was a, uh, a sort of pop-in on the right-hand side of the video where you could expand it out and you could do things like they had a little trivia section you could vote directly for the um the grand finals mvp right there um you could jump around from a player cam to player cam which i thought was really interesting um you know a lot of things that i'm just like not super super functional like do i really need to be watching i don't know moth the whole game or do i really want to jump around from moth to to uh I don't know, to super and just to see what their face is doing, literally their face, because it's a face cam kind of thing. But at the same time, what that did say to me is they're trying to integrate things. They're trying to make it more interactive, which is, I think, something that has been missing since the jump from Twitch over to YouTube. You know, I think the YouTube chat just isn't the same as the Twitch chat. Um, because largely Twitch was built on this idea of community, whereas YouTube was built more on this idea of content creation, I think. Um, you know, YouTube obviously originally was just a video player um, where you could upload your own videos and that kind of thing. So it's the creation versus the community side of things. And I think that's part of what was missing in a lot of ways or to a lot of people um, in the switch over to YouTube. So anyways, exciting stuff that uh, they got that sponsorship with IBM, obviously. And uh, yeah, hopefully in the next in the next season, in the 2021 season, it's exciting to say that, um, hopefully we'll see some cool new integrations or something come from this at all, other than just, you know, it popping up IBM on the screen. Maybe we won't, but my fingers are crossed. Now then, next story here. This one is just a little, little snippet that I wanted to include. Um, no real reason other than the fact that I think it's kind of cool because I like this kind of stuff. I would imagine a lot of the Overwatch community doesn't really care too much, but at the same time, you know, I would argue that why would the game invest in it if the community isn't interested in it or it isn't, you know, selling kind of thing. So anyways, I digress. This one comes by way of GG Recon and the article was written by Tom Chapman and it reads, new Overwatch novel reportedly leaked on Amazon. So again, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Go ahead and head over to GG Recon to read Tom Chapman's article. I'm just going to read a quick snippet here. There's a listing over on Amazon.fr for a new novel. It's from Scholastic, which is the same publisher as 2020's The Hero of Numbani. That novel centered on Numbani hero Effie Oladele, the little girl who created Orisa. This time, it's Ash who's getting her own time to shine. Fans will get an insight into Ash's relationship with the bandit Jesse McCree and the formation of gang deadlock. Given McCree and Ash's frosty relationship in game, it's safe to assume they had a falling out at some point during their deadlock days, which will presumably be explored in the book. 
It will be written by Lindsay Ellie, who's no stranger to rootin' tootin' westerns, thanks to her work on 2018's Gunslinger Girl. Now again, I, I threw that one in there because I love the lore side of Overwatch, not that I've actually read these uh, these books, the, the Hero of Numani, and not that I, you know, am writing this one down to to read into either although hey maybe i will i'm i'm always down for more lore and by all means i think from the sounds of it overwatch 2 is gonna have more of that lore component or at least have some you know more story behind things which i think we're all clamoring for and with that that's all the news i wanted to talk about this week um obviously you can see you know maybe a little lighter on the news a big part of that is because obviously i took so long off that i didn't want to go too far back in time with the news reports so I just kind of pulled a few from, you know, this past week um, here in Canada. It's actually a long weekend. That's why I'm recording now. But uh, yeah, I just kind of pulled a few articles from last week that I wanted to share. Um, however, going forward, obviously, we'll be looking at more of a week-to-week kind of schedule. So that'll help with some of that. So let's move on to the next section, the OWL Recap. Oh, uh, we have to get this thing moving again. All right, so let's dive into Grand Finals weekend, October 8th through 10th, 2020. So as I talked before, what an exciting weekend. Um, I think in large part, I had a ton of fun. The only downside was because it was in Korea, the times that these games were on were a little bit ludicrous for me. That said, the Grand Final, like the final final match between Seoul and San Francisco was at a reasonable time for me to catch. Um, some of the other games weren't just because they were trying to fit three games into into one, uh, I guess, one day. And that did make some of them a little difficult to watch. But regardless, um, I actually, at the very least, I caught some of each game with the exception of, I think, maybe one. But at the same time, I caught a lot of the uh, more exciting, more important well, I don't want to say more important because all the games were important, obviously. But I caught some of the more exciting games, that's for sure. Um, so I'll give you a quick overview of maybe each match. We'll see. And then I'll talk a little bit more about uh, probably the grand final in particular. So the first match, or one of the first matches, was of course the Seoul Dynasty taking on the San Francisco Shock. A sort of round one, a warm-up of what our final would come to be. And in that one... We originally saw the San Francisco Shock taking the first two maps and making things look like it was going to be a quick, uh, you know, 3-0. and And then Seoul came roaring back with some interesting work on Volskaya and Havana, which just, uh, you know, I don't think anyone would have predicted that. Um, and honestly, it's funny because, you know, looking at last year where San Francisco got outed in the first round by uh, the Atlanta Reign and dropped to the loser's bracket, if they had lost this match, you know, I think... People have been coming at them with pitchforks, calling them, you know, throwers and everything like that. But they did pull out the win in the end, uh, winning out on map five in Busan, making it three to two, which, of course, sent them on to the next winner's bracket game. But before that, we had two more matches. One was the other, uh, you know, initial match and then our first loser's bracket game. So the other initial match was the Shanghai Dragons against the Philadelphia Fusion. Now, I don't think I caught this game. I wanted to, but just, again, those hours were a little bit ridiculous. So I didn't really miss out on too much, I want to say. Honestly, you know, even if Philadelphia played quite well, I mean, Shanghai blew them out 3-0. and 
Um, it went, you know, map one was Busan. It went two to one for Shanghai. Map two is King's Row. Shanghai took one and Philly didn't even get anything. You know what? I definitely actually did watch some of this game. Um, and then map three was Volskaya and Shanghai again got one. Philly didn't get anything. Um, so, I mean, hey, what was the what was the big problem? Honestly, I don't know that there's any one thing really. You know, Philadelphia is a solid team. Obviously, Alarm, Rookie of the Year this year. Um, Shanghai, obviously, again, another very solid team. You know, lots of impressive players. Fleta, MVP for the regular season. Um, you know, I know Void was one of the role stars. I think Lee Jae-gong was also one of the role stars this year. So I don't know that there's any one thing you can really point your finger at. I think in a lot of ways it was how the meta shaped out. Um, with uh, with Carpe and Hisu on damage, I think uh, I think they are a little more one-sided maybe than Shanghai. Um, and as we'll see, uh, you know, of all the teams in the Grand Finals final, uh, Grand Finals finals tournament, I guess, um, Philadelphia was the one that struggled. Um, like I say, I think probably their damage line was maybe just a little more one-sided, and that's nothing against Carpe or Hisu. By all means, they're both very skilled players. I think they just, in terms of this meta and in terms of what they were playing against, I think they weren't necessarily able to rise to the occasion. So anyways, Philadelphia then got pushed down to the loser's bracket um, where they would meet up against the Seoul Dynasty. And again, you know, another one-sided match against Philadelphia. This time... Seoul Dynasty taking the W. Uh, 2-0 on Busan, 3-2 on King's Row, and then 4-3 on Temple of Anubis. Um, the only showing, I believe, of Temple of Anubis we got. Um, I could be wrong about that, but we'll find out shortly here. But regardless, again, you know, if we look at the rosters, I mean, Prophet and Fitz were popping off on uh, Seoul Dynasty, and especially, you know, Prophet was playoff Prophet as per usual. But, you know, people like Jester really coming in strong. Toby... Uh, coming in with those melee support kills a lot, just really kind of stepping things up. And then again, you know, looking at the roster on Philadelphia, Carpe and Hisu, um, you know, again, just just a little bit, struggling a little bit. Um, I know Carpe eventually did get subbed out and Fury came in, but I, oh, not Fury, sorry, that was my bad. Uh, Ivy came in and, you know, in a lot of ways, I just think that Maybe there wasn't enough variation. Maybe someone was just having an off game, but they weren't able to make anything happen. And ultimately, that was it for Philadelphia. You know, winner's bracket, well, initial game and then loser's bracket game, and they were the first team knocked out of the playoffs. So definitely surprising there. Um, I don't know that anyone would have picked them to be the first team out. I think maybe people would have thought they would at least move on to the next game in the loser's bracket. Um, but then, of course, they'd be going up against either San Francisco or Shanghai. And I don't know that. I think people, some people would have picked them to win that match. But at the same time, it could easily be more of a 50-50 Shanghai-Philadelphia. But hey, they never made it that far. So the speculation doesn't really matter. So our next game was the San Francisco Shock, the first round winner against the Shanghai Dragons, the other first round winner. And San Francisco ultimately pulled out the win, bringing it three to two. So definitely a really exciting matchup because again, you know, uh, Clash of the Titans, if you will, <laughs> not the Vancouver Titans, sadly, but Clash of the Titans with San Francisco Shock, obviously being the former grand champions and placing very well at the end of this regular season. And the Shanghai Dragons just dominating the, uh, the APAC region all season long and obviously being first overall. So really an exciting match to see. And by all means, this one in a lot of ways 
could have been anyone's game. Um, San Francisco took the first two rounds, first Oasis 2-0, and then Hollywood 3-2. But right after that, Shanghai came back with Volskaya bringing it 4-3, and then uh, Watchpoint Gibraltar bringing it 3-0 and just forcing a map 5. But really, like I say, just really exciting stuff um, from both teams. Really, really strong play from both teams. Um, in my opinion, could have gone either way. San Francisco just ultimately clutching it out in the end. Um, you know, maybe it's that ultimately that former champion experience kind of thing. Um, but I think most people could have easily seen this one go either way as well. Um, ultimately, sent Shanghai down to the losers bracket where they faced off against the Seoul Dynasty in the second losers bracket matchup. And this time around, this was probably the big upset of the tournament. Um, ultimately, again, I think most people would have put their money that Seoul would be the first team out. Obviously, Seoul proved that wrong with Philly going out. And then Seoul proved that wrong again, beating Shanghai um, with a record of 3-2. to two. So the first round went to Shanghai, 2-1. to one. Um, Seoul put up a good fight against them. Second round on King's Row, 4-3 to three for Seoul Dynasty. A little bit surprising, being that, you know, I think King's Row is one of the one of the favorite match maps all around. But uh, definitely for the stronger teams, they usually have really strong play on King's Row. And by all means, I mean, 4-3 is not too shabby at all. But ultimately, that round went to Seoul. Then it went back to Shanghai and Volskaya, 2-1. to one. Um, moving on from there, we went to Dorado, where Seoul took it 1-0. and And then finally, map 5 on Oasis. Seoul coming in strong with the control map, bringing it 2-0. to zero. And ultimately, that was all she wrote for Shanghai this season. So definitely a, um, a, a pretty significant upset, I would say. Um, you know, I think most people really strongly believed that... Uh, that our champion, our, our grand final, final match was going to be San Francisco against Shanghai. If not, they thought it would be Philly against Shanghai, I would say. But ultimately, the, the real point I'm making is I don't think it was ever in doubt that Shanghai would make it to the final. Um, I'm sure Seoul fans wanted Seoul to pull through and, you know, now they would say they knew Seoul could pull through. But ultimately, I don't think, I don't think anyone who has followed the season and you know, not had a significant bias towards one of these teams, I don't think anyone would have picked Seoul over Shanghai. So, anyways, I digress, because Seoul came out on top, and it was really exciting to watch. Um, and I actually, I just pulled up some of the, the exciting stats from Shanghai this season, because really, they should be celebrating. You know, ultimately, they placed third overall, which isn't the win they had hoped for. But, like, looking at their accolades this season, um, you know, I mean, they brought in five new players, um, Fleta, Void, Lee Jae Gong, Lip, and Stand One, who were all very important in this uh, in this tournament. Ultimately, I mean, Fleta won MVP overall of the year. Um, looking at some of their other accolades, you know, they were the May Melee champs in in the APAC region. They were the Countdown Cup champs in the APAC region. Um, other than that, I mean, Fleta, like I say, uh, MVP for the regular season. Um, they had five five players. That were that wound up getting roll stars. Fleta, Lip, Void, Fearless, Lee Jagong. Um, that was damage, damage, tank, tank, and support. Literally, that's almost a full lineup. If uh, if their other support, who I believe was, in fact, I'm gonna just pull it up so I don't get it wrong. Izayaki, of course. 
if Iziaki had gotten a roll star as well in support, they would have literally had a whole team of roll stars right there. Um, but I digress. Uh, they obviously Coach Moon got Coach of the Year, um, and then they had a record of literally twenty-seven and two this season. Just absolutely an insane regular season for them. Um, so you know, again, regardless, just very impressive for them, and really in a lot of ways a shame that they didn't didn't win it out in the end or or at least make it to the grand final. But ultimately, applause for them and goodbye because then we went on to the final match of the regular season where we saw the san francisco shock take on the seoul dynasty um obviously as i mentioned this was actually a rematch of the first match that both seoul and san francisco played in the uh in the grand finals tournament um very exciting again and very exciting to see them match up again because really it was a a rematch for Seoul, a grudge match, if you will. And I don't think anyone expected Seoul to do as well as they did the first time around. And then certainly they did, you know, in my opinion, better in this grand final. Obviously, the grand final goes to seven rounds if needed. Um, I guess it's first to four rather than first to three, which is what normal matches are. So anyways, the breakdown went like this. Map one was Oasis, and it went 2-0 to San Francisco. Map two was King's Row. 3-2 to two for San Francisco. And yet again, San Francisco was up 2-0. Oh, looking like San Francisco might clutch it out. And it's funny because at this point, I remember saying to myself, man, I'm cheering for San Francisco. I want Twilight to get the win even if he doesn't actually get played. I want him to be on the team that gets the win because he deserves it. And he moved to he, he came to San Francisco after Vancouver imploded because he knows that they are the best team in the league. Um... And man, they're going to blow out Seoul in a 4-0 match, but I feel bad for Seoul, and wouldn't it be nice for them to at least get one? Wouldn't it make for a more exciting final if they at least put up a fight, right? Rather than just, you know, go belly up and, and give up kind of thing. And then we all got our wish, and it was a little too close. So we went to Hanamura after that, where Seoul came out 2-1 to one against San Francisco, and man, was it a fight. Um... Seoul really coming in clutch with the uh, the point B defense. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't even know what to say about it because holy cow, um, you know, uh, Fitz and Profit, just the two of them together popping off. Profit especially. Profit had multiple times throughout this, this match where he really just dominated. Um, and as they say, you know, playoff Profit, showing up kind of thing. Um, anyways, moving on from there. So at that point, it was two to one. In our fourth round, we went to Watchpoint Gibraltar, San Francisco's pick. So San Francisco picked this map um, because uh, loser picks, obviously. And at this point, Seoul manages to push it all three points. San Francisco, nothing. This one was actually a huge shock, I think. Haha, <laughs> shock. Because I don't think anyone would have thought it would be that one-sided. But man, Seoul pushed it all three points, and San Francisco couldn't get it to the first point. So crazy stuff. Now, actually, I want to jump, rewind, back to Hanamura. Um, the crazy thing was they said, I think, the stat, and they showed the stat on the screen. Um, San Francisco has not lost Hanamura in the past two years or something like that. Um, I think they had a record of 18-0 and 0 over the past two years, and Seoul handed them their first loss on that on that particular map. Now, that is crazy, and that is also something I don't know we will ever see in the league again. 
you know, obviously the league is young, three years in, um, but at the same time, those are the kind of records that don't get broken for many, many years to come. So, if ever, kind of thing. Moving on from there, uh, as I mentioned, we went to Watchpoint Gibraltar, one-sided, goes Seoul 3-0. and Then we go back to Control, where Seoul gets zero and San Francisco gets both points. Now, this one was closer than that score would indicate, but ultimately San Francisco came up with a decisive win, giving them the 3-2 to two edge and bringing it to match point where we went to Hollywood, and uh, San Francisco, obviously, as we know, they win, so they clutch it out 2-1. to one. Um, And, man, there were times where it looked like it was over. Um, it was actually kind of funny because um, uh, Seoul was about to... Uh, it was the final minute before Seoul captures the escort point, um, point A, if you will, um, in Hollywood. And my wife actually ran upstairs to grab something, and she was taking a little longer than I thought she should. And I had to, I, I called upstairs to her and I just said, you got 45 seconds, you better get down here because San Francisco's about to win it. Because it didn't look like Seoul was going to capture the point. And then somehow, like I say, in those last 45 seconds, uh, it was actually, I think it was as low as 17 seconds when she got back downstairs. And it was at that point that Seoul managed to kill off all of San Francisco, push them all off the point, and they capped it. And then, of course, they get whatever, I think 2 minutes, 30 seconds, 2 minutes, 40 seconds to push the payload and i you know she came running back to the to the game and and i said okay well they just they're pushing it a little bit farther and they started pushing it and by all means again seoul was winning a few team fights you know it was not one-sided um but then at one point uh just shortly out of the gate shortly through those doors on hollywood where where you get into the old west section um you know i think it was uh choyobin on sigma and super on the roadhog um, I think they, it looked like it might be a, uh, a fight win for Seoul. Um, but I think Choi and, and Super, like I say, I, I mean, I literally heard Super say in, in his interview that he just kind of looked at it and he said, no, I'm going. And he pushed onto the point. He pulled his whole hog, um, and they cleaned up, they pushed everyone off the point and that was all she wrote. And, uh, and San Francisco came out with the win. So it was, like I say, a hugely exciting matchup. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was also the first final that hasn't been a completely one-sided blowout. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think London beat Philly in the first season, and it was a record of uh, 4-0. and And then, I mean, as we know, in season two, um, you know, a tear rolls down my eye as Vancouver was beat 4-0. Um, yeah, yeah, I still reel about that because I would have loved to see them at least take a map um, but they didn't, but I digress because that team doesn't even exist anymore. And as I mentioned, I was cheering for San Francisco ultimately because I wanted to see Twilight get that win. Um, like I say, I mean, he didn't get put in in the game, but at the same time, if this had been a blowout, it wouldn't have surprised me if they did put him in because I remember that happening against Vancouver, um, specifically with Nevix, who of course is now with uh, the Toronto Defiant. Um, I remember when they were up, I think 3-0, and they put Nevix in you know, I think in a lot of ways, just so he could say, yeah, I, I played in the grand final match, um, especially because at that point, you know, that was the big stage, right? That was when everything was still hosted out of LA. And of course, when everything was still in front of a live audience. So I digress. I say that a lot, but I digress because we now have our 2020 uh, grand finals champions with the San Francisco Shock. And like I say, you know, 
really exciting stuff. Um, ultimately, they end the season with a record of 31 wins and four losses. Um, just a colossal feat. Um, again, you know, the first and only two-time grand champions at this point. Um, and like I say, just energy esports, you know, Andy Miller, um, Coach Krusty, and the whole team, and their, all their staff, they have a lot to be proud of because uh, I'm... I'm almost certain that you know it'll be it'll be a long time before we have a two-time winner again. You know, mark my words right now. Write it down for the future of the league. I don't think San Francisco wins next year. I think there's going to be a lot of changes and a lot of shakeups over the off-season, um, as well as going into the next season. I mean, at this point, who know, who even knows what the next season will look like? But mark my words, uh, if San Francisco is a a strong force. I don't know that they will come out on top next season. I think this season, they definitely weren't as infallible as they looked at the end of last season. I mean, throughout the season, and if you look back at previous episodes I've recorded, obviously I've talked about how San Francisco didn't have that, necessarily have that it factor. And again, you know, in my humble opinion, I think a lot of that came from Sinatra. Um, I think they 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 looked a little more shaky. They looked a little less confident. They they lacked a certain leadership. Um, you know, even if you could look at someone like maybe maybe Super, who's I think he's more of a personality than he is a leader. Um, and you know, that's just speculation. That's nothing against the guy. Um, but I think that ultimately they they kind of lost something when they lost Sinatra. Now maybe this is the juice they need and maybe this after losing Sinatra and you know picking up their pieces and really getting things going again, maybe that's all they needed and you know they're gonna come out on top again next year. But at the same time as we all know burnout is high in uh in esports in general. And of course, um, you know, actually just before I recorded I was reading about uh Ons who huge player on this on the San Francisco shock big part of their win you know obviously ons on the widowmaker ons on the ash um, really popping off really contributing in a lot of ways along with striker obviously in the other DPS role um, who won our grand finals MVP anyways I digress going back to ons obviously he uh, he posted about how he's actually been suffering from depression for the past you know five or six months which really is pretty much since the pandemic and everything really kicked into high gear and we went into lockdown and things like that. Um, so it's it's stressful. And I think we, you know, we've already seen a lot of retirements this year. I think we will only continue to see more, obviously. And even, even so, I, I just, like I say, I just don't know that San Francisco or any team for that matter will be looking as strong as they did this past year in, in the 2021 season. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know applause all around great job to everyone who was in the tournament um i mean i think philly's got some some uh looking deep down to do but uh but ultimately the other three teams i mean just total total powerhouses you know philly included but total powerhouses really exciting stuff and ultimately a great way to end this season so with that um i'm going to move on to the next section of my show where typically, like I say, I would look at the upcoming games. Now, obviously, we are entering the offseason. Um, sucks. It, it feels feels like I'll, there is a loss in my life right now. And if you're listening to this, I'm sure it feels like that to you as well. But hopefully we can band together and, and enjoy this offseason, especially because there's going to be a lot of things happening. Now, the reason I say that is because we have 
some roster dates, roster construction dates coming up, as well as lots of trades ongoing and things like that. So let's move on to the next section, which I'm actually now going to call the Owl Tracker. There's no stopping me. So in this section, I want to talk a little bit about some of the changes that we've seen already in terms of uh, team rosters in the Overwatch League. Um, and I'm also going to talk a little bit about, uh, like I say, some of the roster construction rules and key dates, because by all means, uh, some of them have uh, come up very quickly. And I personally think it's very exciting to know this stuff. If you don't, then by all means, feel free to bounce right now. But uh, if you do, you know, just follow the podcast and tune in next week. Um, so let me cover first some of the trades and retirements and things like that that have already been announced um, and that have already happened. And then I'll talk about some of the key dates. So I'm going to cover October here because I think, I mean, we're almost halfway through October, honestly, which is crazy. But um, I'll start with October 1st when the Overwatch League Commissioner Pete Vlasletic, Vlastelica steps down from his position. Um, so that was a big deal. Um, I'm not going to talk too, too much about it. Um, I know they've already announced that uh, someone is stepping in um, who was previously only managing the Call of Duty League and will now be managing the Overwatch League as well. I'm not too sure what their roles really, truly entail. So I'm not going to talk and speculate too, too much about that. Um, but I did want to mention it just because it's an important thing. Um, now, also on October 1st, the London Spitfire released its entire coaching staff um, they, they did talk about rebuilding with a more localized team. So I think they are in a lot of ways pulling a similar strategy as to what we, I think are going to see and have already seen a little bit of with, um, with respect to the Vancouver Titans, um, kind of the opposite of a, an all Korean roster, which we see teams like the Washington justice doing, um, as well as, you know, the Florida mayhem did, um, so anyways, they released their entire coaching staff um, and have been rumored to be rebuilding with uh, European or or that type of uh, roster. Um, I don't know truly how far out they would extend that, but obviously in Europe, you know, the countries are a lot closer together and there's a lot more diversity in that sense. So maybe we'll see some exciting announcements coming from them soon. Um, in that same ilk, the Dallas Fuel assistant coach Voljin left the team. Um, Dallas is a team that I'm not going to talk too much about right now, but uh, maybe in a future episode I'll cover some of the teams because boy oh boy does Dallas look a little bit shaky right now. Uh, moving on from there, October 2nd, the Washington Justice actually parted ways with uh, their assistant coach Lee Wiz Junhei. Um, not, I, I don't have anything to say about that. I don't know too much about what went on there. Um, obviously the Washington justice, you know, bit of a Cinderella story at the end of the season there. Um, especially with the, the signing of decay and then decay really making an impact, but I think also relying a lot on the meta, um, to build them up. But again, you know, Washington justice will be an interesting one in the off season because of honestly, because of how things led up to the end of the season and then the shocking turn that they had at the end of the season. So. Moving on from there, October 5th, the Boston Uprising actually added a new head coach, Kim Laurie Seung-hyun. So that's an exciting one. Um, Boston, obviously, as we know, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Boston finished last in the league, which in a lot of ways is shocking because 
um, because we saw teams like the Washington Justice really struggle. And at the same time, we also saw teams like the Vancouver Titans implode on themselves entirely. Now, looking at the standings, uh, Vancouver ended with a record of 6-15, and 15, Washington 4-17. and 17. If Vancouver didn't have those two wins from the very beginning of the season where they did have the, uh, the old runaway roster, the team from last year, um, then they would have a record of 4-17. and 17. So it would be down to the map differential that would you know set who was in 18th position who was in 19th position i digress obviously the team did have those two wins and they still counted so they wound up 18th rather than 19th but ultimately um you know like i say boston is going to be an interesting one to watch because they had such an abysmal season next up was october 6th when the gangzhou charge dropped head coach cho jin hyojin and assistant coach Jung Tadola Siungmin. I'm probably butchering all of these, but just bear with me. Um, I'm doing my best. And also Hong Sungwoo Sungwoo. So that's an interesting one because, you know, by all accounts, Guangzhou did uh, relatively well in the APAC region. Um, you know, looking at the standings, they are actually the second highest team in the APAC region. Um, Shanghai Dragons obviously finished first, and Guangzhou finished fifth overall. Second in their region, fifth overall, though. So by all means, they had a great season, um, yeah, record of 18-7. and seven. So it's hard to say what that's really about. Um, you know, could be that the, the head coach and the assistant coaches uh, wanted a change. Could be that uh, the organization was, you know, grand finals or bust. So... Anyways, who knows what's going on there? Not me, because certainly I don't focus on the APAC region too much. But uh, all the best to, to the members that are gone now. On the same day, October 6th, the Los Angeles Gladiators released uh, Jaru, uh, DPS Jaru, off-tank Bishu, and of course, main support Big Goose and flex support Shaz. So that was, an, in particular, a very interesting one. Um, if we look at the overall standings, the Los Angeles Gladiators finished ninth uh, with, a, with a record of 11 and 10, almost uh, you know 50-50 or 500 record, if you will, um, just slightly above that middle ground of 10th position. So that was a bit of an interesting one, um, especially with uh, players like Big Goose and Shaz. And the reason I say that is because Big Goose and Shaz kind of, in a lot of ways, were the face of that organization. Um, you know, they were well-known. They were, I think, well-liked. They were featured in a lot of uh, DLA Gladiator social media. Um, and they've been around the scene for a long time. Um, so, you know, maybe it was just time for them. Maybe they're, they're being sunsetted kind of thing. I know Big Goose announced that he's going to uh, retire from professional play, I think. Um, I'm not too sure about Shaz. I, I didn't read too much about the other players, but I, I was pretty familiar with Big Goose. So, anyways, you know, exciting to see these changes because... I think that that does mean that we're gonna there's gonna be some shakeups in in the league. Obviously, Los Angeles Gladiators are now looking for a full support line. Uh, that was basically their main support line. So um, I'm not sure if they have anyone else in the pipe or or anyone on the team that does play that support role uh, and flex support, of course. But regardless, Los Angeles Gladiators will be making some changes. After that, October eighth, we had the Boston Uprising releasing main tank Mikey and main support Halo. Um, so that will that will be an interesting one as well. Um, as I mentioned, you know, 
obviously uh, Boston is going to be making changes um, and it'll be interesting to see what they can do you know I know when coach Krusty was over there who's now with the San Francisco Shock they they were looking a lot better with him um, you know I actually just pulled up their active roster it still lists Mikey it still lists Halo um, so it's hard to say what they're going to do because currently they have one of the smaller rosters I think they have the bare minimum that the players you need to have they have seven um, they just lost two so they're sitting at they've got two tanks they've got two DPS and they've got one support you know um, Punk obviously just got signed to them towards the latter half of the season there um, and by all means he he did shake things up a little bit I think you know Christopher of the um, of the Philadelphia Fusion often talks about a bit of a honeymoon period when you bring in a new player like that and I think they certainly went through that and then they continued to struggle after that but you know again who knows what's going to happen with them who knows what's going to happen with the remaining players I think they do have some strength on their team you know Myungbong on support he did end up playing in the in the all-stars uh tournament there so by all means he's a strong player punk obviously just came to the team so i'm sure he wants to stay in the league jerry is a great support player um and by all means i think a lot of these players were doing the best with what they had at their disposal and what they could do um fusions is an interesting one i do wonder if if he might be close to retirement um and that's not based on anything other than just you know reading up about him but but that's that's what i see from the outside so anyways um that's boston uh outside of that also on october 8th the los angeles gladiators released strategic coach rohit Currishot nathini so another you know it, it's so hard to say what a lot of these roles actually entail in uh in overwatch because it's very loosely defined but uh strategic coach curry shot so so that's the bulk of what we've seen so far um you know that obviously leads up to october 8th i think teams didn't really want to detract from the grand finals over the grand finals weekend so no movement on the 8th 9th and 10th um and then obviously that led into the weekend where we typically don't see movement and it's as i mentioned just past midnight on monday as i'm recording so we might get some more today um but that's how things stand right now so i wanted to talk about the roster construction rules because uh obviously they they made some interesting changes to the roster construction uh, because of COVID and everything, because of the uh, grand finals being in Korea and everything like that. But they also, in that same sort of announcement article, whatever, they list Overwatch League key dates. So I want to go through some of those because that gives you a good idea of the fact that the next probably a little more than a month is going to be pretty exciting. Um, and then obviously the rest of the offseason as more signings happen and everything. But um, it starts like this, and again, you can find this on the Overwatch League uh, website. So October 10th was the championship match concludes the 2020 season schedule. October 12th, that's today, teams may begin submitting player trades for league office review. All player trades are subject to league office approval prior to becoming effective. Teams may also begin extending or otherwise signing their current players to standard contracts. So what does that mean? That means that if a team wants to make a trade they have to submit it to the league and that is tomorrow that the cutoff is tomorrow i should say um well today whatever october 12th so in theory 
that means that teams, even the teams that were in the grand finals, if they want to make trades, if they're moving pieces around, those all have to be submitted by today. I would assume it's end of day today, but it doesn't say, but regardless, that means that's happening today. Um, as well as teams um, can begin extending contracts or otherwise signing current players to standard contracts. So this is sort of a negotiation period for their existing teams and players if they want to keep them. But this is also in a lot of ways uh, when they need to be ready and thinking about what their team is going to look like um, in terms of those trades. So, so it might just so happen that later today we hear a lot of news. I would guess that we're looking at this next week where a lot of that's going to start coming out. So the next date is October 16th. The deadline by which teams must exercise any options to extend existing contracts which were initially executed in 2020. So that's why I say this next week will be exciting because on Friday, that is the last day they have to exercise those extension um, options on existing contracts. October 23rd, so that is one, so that's in two weeks basically. Um, October 23rd, PSAs signed using the 2020 PSA template that are not extended terminate and such players become free agents. Players who signed using the 2020 PSA template whose contracts extend into the 2021 season begin receiving base salary at the 2021 season rate. So what this means is that if they were under a 2020 season uh, contract basically and that uh, that are not extended to terminate and if that contract is not extended, they become a free agent. Now, I don't know fully how free agency works in the Overwatch League, but um, if if my understanding is correct, that basically means that we're suddenly, as of October 23rd, we're going to have a ton of players who are now free agents. And that means teams will start making them offers. So that's when things get really interesting because anyone who wasn't signed but is still looking for a team will start tweeting out, hey, you know, Here's my contact details and that kind of thing. Um, so we'll we'll see some big shakeups around then as well. October 24th, the next day, teams may begin signing free agents to contracts. So that's, again, when that happens. And then after the 24th, uh, so let's see, the 24th is a Saturday, one, two. The next date is November 13th. So one week, two weeks, and let's jump to November. So three weeks later on November 13th, that's the deadline by which teams must exercise any team option to extend existing contracts, which were initially executed in 2019. So this is when some of those longer contracts start coming into play. This is when a lot of players who would have been signed to what's I think referred to as a one plus one contract, um, where basically they sign for one year with the option of a second year um, if both parties agree or something like that. I think that's when we'll start seeing those players' names being brought up and things like that. After that, a week later is November 20th, when players whose contracts that are not extended become free agents. Teams and players must uh, players also may mutually agree to an early release from contracts prior to this date. Um, so that specifically relates to players whose contracts were not extended. So again we now have more players becoming free agents. So the October-November time period is really exciting. There's actually a ton of stuff that could happen there. And by all means, uh, you know, again, looking at the standings for a lot of teams, there's a ton of stuff that's going to happen 
in that period. The final date we have here is January 4th, 2021, which is the deadline for all teams to have a minimum of seven players signed to season-long contracts for the 2021 season. Uh, see below for changes to player contract terms for 2021 season. Teams may make trades until a trade deadline that will be determined prior to the start of the 2021 season. League office may separately impose a roster lock date, after which teams will not be permitted to sign free agents. Players who were born on or before June 30th, 2003 are definitively eligible to sign Overwatch League contracts for the 2021 season. So what does all that mean? That means that basically by January 4th, we should know what the minimum roster for um, every team is. Now, there may still be some things that happen. Obviously, they say teams may make trades until a trade deadline that will be determined prior to the start of the 2021 season. Obviously, there's that. So we'll know the the uh, minimum seven roster for each team, but there is still the opportunity for trades to happen until they actually announce that trade deadline before the start of the season. I would imagine they don't know exactly when the season will start simply because of uh, how this season turned out and everything with COVID and special contract rules and things like that that had to come up. Um, but regardless, um, it's going to be an exciting end of the year. Um, if you're into Overwatch League like this and on this level, then definitely um, you know Google Overwatch League trade tracker and things like that. You can find all sorts of lists, all sorts of people who are tracking these things. Um, I personally... Uh, have been using one from Liz Richardson on dotesports.com. And by all means, I'm going to keep that thing bookmarked and I will definitely be uh, checking in regularly, uh, assuming she updates it regularly, because I want to know what's going on with these teams, especially a few of them, you know, obviously the Vancouver Titans. I really want to see what happens there. Um, you know, another one, obviously the Toronto Defiant. I'd love, 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 love to see what happens there, being that, you know, although they didn't have the best season, um, I do think they're one of the better teams in terms of engagement and their community and everything like that. Um, and then, obviously, we have the, the big question marks like Boston, Washington. Um, as I mentioned, you know, London's already announced or been rumored to be in the midst of some pretty major reconstruction. Um, we have teams like Houston, who, I mean, hey, every indication was that they were going to be great this season and everything I ever heard was that they were going to be great this tournament and that tournament and that kind of thing and they never really shaped up and then you've got teams like the Dallas Fuel who kind of imploded on themselves with the whole decay thing and there was a lot of team drama it seemed and whatever the point is I'm excited for the off season now don't get me wrong obviously I want to watch uh I want more Overwatch League like I say, right now I'm I'm in withdrawal. I'm craving it. It's the weekend, and I don't turn on Overwatch League every every spare moment I have. But um, regardless, that's that's what brought me back here. You know, like I say, I had a lot of life stuff going on. Obviously, it took a four month break, but uh, I'm excited to be back, and and I want to keep the the good vibes going. So uh, hopefully, I'm here to stay. Now that's all I've got for the show this week. Um, thank you for listening. If you did, um, if you're new, thank you for, uh, thank you for popping by. Hopefully you enjoyed what you heard here. Um, once again, this was one man Watchpoint, an overwatch podcast, uh, where we focus on everything going on in the wonderful world of overwatch from the game, from the latest and greatest news, moving on to, uh, lots of overwatch league talk. Obviously the majority of the show is overwatch league talk. And, uh, of course I am your host, Sir Dr. JM. 
Uh, find me on Twitter at SirDRJM. Find me on Instagram at SirDRJM. And by all means, I'm always excited to talk and uh, engage with people. If you have suggestions for the show or you want to hear me talk about something in particular, let me know and I'll do my best. Um, I'm, like I say, I'm hoping to get back into this. I, I have a lot of fun doing this. I just kind of took a break because, you know, life was crazy for a while there. So, so anyways, I digress. That was one man watch point. Uh, whatever, like, subscribe, share, you know, find me on all your favorite podcast services and follow me there. Um, and until next week, sayonara. Thank you.